2, we're still teaching and preaching concerning kingdom marriage. Today is, will be our last message in this as far as we know right now. And uh, today we're going to be talking about wives. So all of you wives, all you women, and all you husbands, just get ready to receive the Word, okay? We're going to ask you to be nice and civil in here today. Don't act like you're at home and nobody else around. You can take that two or three ways, I guess. So, but, but nonetheless, and if you wasn't here last Sunday, you need to get a CD from last Sunday because we talked about husbands. And uh, Brother Roger wasn't get, didn't get to be here last Sunday, and he told me, he said, I got that CD in my truck, and I've listened to it several times already. So, so uh, Sister Brenda, we give you a new husband, okay? <laughs> so... I asked him, I said, is Sister Brenda with you? He said, yeah, she's here. And I said, well, I was going to tell you if she wasn't, be sure to get her a CD and take it to her so she'll have it. All right. I, I, I know I've said this to you before, but I, I think every time I start preaching about wives and, and the family relationship, I think back to something I heard Jimmy Swaggard say several years ago. He said, today... We're going to talk about one of the hardest subjects in the Bible to talk about. He said, we're going to talk about wives. I thought, man, that's some way to open up a message, isn't it? <laughs> so, anyway, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. That help meet, I want to remind you, that word means there, a helper in, the, in simply this, that God said, I'm going to make you someone to help you that's like you, that's the way I've made you like me to help me. So I want you to get a hold of this, that when God made Eve, He did not make a companion. He made a helper. And, and if you look back in verse 18 of this, it says that God said that it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a helpmeet. So evidently God knew in his wisdom that Adam was to a point and a place in his life where there's things that he needed help with. Right? Uh, you know, it would be a good place for you women that your husbands is here to look at him and say, hey, I was made to help you. Right, and you do, ma'am. <laughs> but if if he, if she had been made only for companionship, if that's what this whole thing was about, then it would probably have been Adam to say, "Hey, it's not good for me to be alone." But instead, God, knowing how things would be, God was the one that said that it's not good for man to be alone, not because of companionship but because that he knew that man needed a helper. Now you say, well, the Holy Spirit's my helper. Well, he is. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He's the one that comes along beside us. But he said for man to be complete, he's got to have a helper, someone like him, that can help him the same way that I made him to help me. So that's what we see when we see the term help meet. And the Lord God called, if y'all listen now, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, 
And he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh and stood thereof. Now, I like this phrase, and, and I've said this before, but this phrase is only found in the King James translation. Others do not, many others do not have this. But he closed up the flesh instead thereof, to me, says that instead of God putting another rib in Adam, he closed up the flesh and he took this rib that he made and made, that he took out of Adam and made a woman, Eve, and brought her to Adam. And in doing that, now then, man is complete again, but not without woman. So he, he instead, of, instead of him saying, okay, Adam, you're complete, you're back whole, you're everything, you're just exactly perfect the way I made you. Now, he was still perfect in, in a spiritual sense, a moral sense, a mental sense. But now then there was something physical that was not just exactly perfect until God brought Eve into his being. And so when he brought her to him, then, uh, then Adam said in verse 23, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, she is part of me. She's of me. She's part of me. I need her. My bones are not complete without her. My flesh is not complete without her. My spirit is not complete without her. My mind is not complete without her. I need her so that I can be completed. Therefore shall a man... And and let me just drop this in right here. In the Hebrew concept, a man... Wasn't a young guy that had got to be 17, 18 years old that thought he was a man. Okay? The, a man here, it was not based on an age, a chronological age, as we base it on today. We, you know, most guys, time to get 15, 16, they think they're a man. Well, they're a male, but there's a difference a lot of time between being a male and being a man in the sense of the Word of God. Uh, I know guys that are 25 and 30 years old that still have not achieved manhood. They're a male, but in the concept of the Bible. Because in the concept of the Bible, for someone to be called a man, they had to be independent. They had to be independent of their father and mother. They, Even though a lot of times they lived in adjacent houses, they were to the point to where they didn't depend on mama and daddy for their upkeep. You got that? So he said that a man will cleave to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. But this only takes place after he leaves the responsibility of a father and a mother, only after he assumes financial responsibility to where he's able to take care of of a wife and a family. And if he don't do that, then folks, I'm going to go back to the Bible concept of it. He's not a man. He's just another leech. That wasn't nice, was it, Brother Dennis? <laughs> Sound like a man talking from experience over here. <laughs> In a lot of ways, right? Now, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, or they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In other words, they were in the innocency and the purity in which God had made them. I believe that they 
were surrounded with the glory of God, just like much like God is today in heaven. They were surrounded with the glory of God, and in the glory of God there was no regard for anything that you and I and our fallen mind would think about. There was none of that because of their innocence and their purity until they sinned and then that glory was taken away from them and that's when they realized, hey, I'm no longer covered with what God gave me. I'm no longer covered with the glory of God. And so they, they run to a fig tree. You know, I was thinking, Ron, what that fig tree out at your house did me. It's no wonder that God decided that figs was not a good clothes for them that they needed animal clothes because <laughs> I don't know if it broke them out or not, but buddy, they, them fig leaves, sure, I didn't make clothes out of it. They just hit my arms. Now, come on now, y'all got to. Now, by the way, we're talking about women today. Talking about wives. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be through here in a few minutes, but I don't want to get in a hurry. Now, I talk a lot about the book of Proverbs. How that in the book of Proverbs we find a whole lot of Scripture that has to do with our money, our morals, and our mouth. But in the book of Proverbs there's a whole lot that's said about women and, and wives. And we're not going to cover all of these things, but I just want to give you a contrast about something. And, and no one take offense to these first things I'm going to talk about because I don't believe we have anybody here this way, okay? We'll get, and we're going to get to Proverbs 31 in a few minutes, and I believe that's all for all of our women, all right? That's my faith. And that's <clears throat> when you're a little bit afraid to preach on women, that's what you stand behind. <laughs> in the book of Proverbs, like I said, there's a big contrast in women, and, and, and one of the first that we hear talked about is the adulteress. Proverbs 2, 16, 5, 3, 6, 24. And then especially chapter 7 and then on down in verse 27, Proverbs 9, 13. All of these talk about the adulterous woman and the danger of, of a woman of that stature and that nature. Another one that's talked about in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 19, 13, then 21, 9, 9 and 19. I'm, I'm just going through these because I didn't want to take time to put it all up and get your mind off the main thing here. Just trying to make a... But another one is a noisy, loud, boisterous, contentious woman. I would say there's more of those than the first. And, and the Bible says in these verses that it's better to live on a rooftop or in the desert than with her. Uh, then there's the foolish woman. The rebellious woman. The quarrelsome woman. See, all of these are set in contrast with the virtuous woman. Now, and the reason I rush through this other, I just want you to understand that the book of Proverbs covers everything we need to look at in life. And it gives us a contrast. And there are a lot of bad people. Bad people. Bad, 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 bad people, both men and women, okay? And, and who do you blame? Is, is a woman bad because men are bad? Is a man bad because women are bad? Uh, I think, you know, uh, and I know this is not a good thing nowadays. It's become unpopular and our president's finding this out. That uh, in most situations there's two involved. 
And and I still believe that two wrongs don't make a right. I, I really believe that, don't you? And uh, and when two sides are wrong, it'd be just like I was telling somebody, look, if a husband and wife came to me and they were having trouble, and I looked at them and I said, hey, look, you're both wrong, that don't mean I'm siding with the wife or I'm siding with the husband. I'm telling them they're both wrong. And I have told people that time and time again over the years, look, you're both wrong. And in and, and that, there's nothing that can be right, so we've got to get this thing changed around. Now, there's been times that a, a wife was doing like she was supposed to do and things were still not going right, a husband doing like he's supposed to do and things still not going right. But folks, I'm here to tell you that, that there's bad men and there's bad women, not because of each other, but because of Satan and sin that he brought into this earth when he fell. All right. But, glory to God, there's good men. And there's good women. Hallelujah. Proverbs 31. And uh, I want you to look at this. And I'm a, we're going to read this from the, the uh, New, New Living Translation. It's, it's 21 verses, uh, chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. But I want you to, get a, I want you to see this. Because women, I believe that regardless of how you re- relate to Proverbs 31, that this is a tribute to you as women. And you say, well, now, preacher, you're supposed to be telling her and getting her straightened out like you did us men last week. Well, bear with me just a few minutes, okay? Don't don't run off yet. So we're going to read, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spends it. She's like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to, to inspect the field and buys it with her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong and a hard worker. That's a, that virtuous woman's not laying around all day long reading uh, Harlequin romances and watching soap operas. <laughs> She makes sure her dwellings are profitable. Her lamps burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread. Her fingers twist fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. You know, I was thinking about, let me just pause right here. I was thinking about Abraham and Sarah. And you know, there was a time that God said to Abraham, you listen to what she's saying. You listen to her. He didn't want to listen to her. And I thought about that. You know, he listened to her when she was wrong and did what she suggested by going into Hagar and, and having a child by him. He listened to her when she... But now then when she's right, he didn't want to listen to her. Now, guys, that tells me this, that there's times that your wife can be wrong. And there's times that your wife can be right. And godly wisdom will help you discern between the two and understand when you need to listen to her because as your helper, as your helper, there's times that she'll say things to you in situations that you need to listen to because that could well be God's answer for the situation that you're facing. 
All the women should have said amen right there. <laughs> now, where did I get to? Okay, when she speaks, her words are wise. She gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. <clears throat> her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Now, I want you to notice something. A woman, if you look in this, and I don't have time to go back and, and, and take each individual verse or group of verses and share them with you, but I want you ladies to take a, take a look at this and let it speak to you because if you can understand that this woman, above everything that she did, first of all, had a tremendous influence on her family. She had a tremendous influence on her husband because she helped him be the kind of man that he was supposed to be so he could help her be the kind of wife that she's supposed to be. She helped him be the kind of husband that he was supposed to be so that she would have the freedom to be the kind of wife that she was supposed to be. And she influenced her children. And, and, and it's so wonderful to think about a godly mother that can influence a family, and, and, and a godly mother can influence a family for generations to come on down the line. Now, you can, you can influence them for good, or you can influence them for evil. I was thinking about Jezebel. You see, Jezebel, if you go back in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, 19, 20, and 21 in those chapters, you'll find out that she influenced her husband wrongly. She influenced uh, his top people wrongly. She influenced her children wrongly. She even influenced the whole nation wrongly. But she was an evil evil woman so much in contrast to the woman here in Proverbs ladies I believe that, that your goal every day should be to do everything you can to impart from your being godliness to your family godliness to your husband godliness to your children you see uh, three things that makes this woman valuable First of all, she's valuable as a faithful helper. She, she earned her husband's respect by working with him instead of against him. I've seen that in so many situations, you know. And, you know, men, we're sort of responsible for that sometimes. Let me, let me tell you how we are. <laughs> I think I'll skip over that one. No. Let me tell you how we're responsible for that. Child comes to us. Uh, Daddy, can I go so-and-so? I don't know. Go ask your mama. Come on, man. Can I do this? I don't know. Go ask your mama. You know why we do that, man? It's, it's two words and... These seem a little bit high for my intellect. But when we do that, we're abdicating responsibility. We are. If somebody asks you a question, you may say, I don't know. Let's go find out. 
But to just shirk responsibility, you know, it just, I, I don't know, you know, go ask your mama. And you see the, the, the pattern we're setting down? We need to, men, we need to learn to be decisive. You say, wait a minute, preach, you're preaching to women today. Men, we need to learn to be decisive so our wives can learn to be decisive as well. Well, you know, it's hard to preach this. If y'all could help me. Uh, <laughs> see, a wife, if we learn to take our responsibility and come to know it that a wife shares the same goals with her husband to build, provide for, and maintain a godly family. I'll, I'll preach it, okay? <laughs> I, I'm concerned that if, if I let one of you women preach it, it would be biased. And uh, <laughs> y'all bear with me. We're getting to the end of this. Now, I said that Eve was not made for companionship. I'm not saying that husbands and wives are not to be companions one with each other, compatible with each other, in a loving, affectionate kind of relationship. You know, uh, listen, ladies. The next time your husband comes in from work and he comes over to give you a hug, don't push him back and say, no, I'm just a helper. New husband's the same way. Your wife comes up and she wants to give you a hug of affection, don't say, no, you're just a helper. That's all you are. Now, because there is something to companionship. It's part of being a helper. See, Adam had no companionship from anything that God had made. Nothing, anything that He made could help him and be for him what woman was. So there is something to companionship. And I think, I think where He said that a husband shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, that term cleave, and you've heard me say this before, that term cleave carries the thought of continuing to date, to court, to say those nice little things and do those nice little things that you did when you were trying to turn her head to look at you. You know, when you'd shave every day and, and when you'd smell good, guys and women and things that you'd do. So there's, com- there's companionship, and companionship gives way to affection, and affection gives way to intimacy. And we've got to realize, folks, that affection and companionship and intimacy is not for a few minutes at night in the bedroom. Can I speak plain? But it's a lifestyle. It's an all-the-time kind of thing. It's an all-day kind of thing. Men, I, I remember reading that every woman, especially your wife, don't be doing this for other women, but especially your wife, needs seven meaningful touches a day that has nothing to do with sexuality. I remember preaching that some years ago, and I said that, and I remember Pat reached over to Jenny and hit her seven times right on the leg and said, Oh, he did? <laughs> and he said, There you are. <laughs> so you got it for next week, too, huh? <laughs> but, but, but this is what I'm talking about affection, intimacy, companionship. Because along with him needing a helper to rule and take control of this earth, and that's what God had told him to do, along with all of that, he needed somebody to come home to at the end of the day 
of keeping the garden and telling all the animals what to do. See, Adam had that power. He had dominion over all of them. And he needed somebody to come home to that would enjoy his day, that would enjoy his fellowship, that would enjoy his time. And not only that, but even go out with him and tell the giraffes how to do and the elephants where they could do and all of these kind of things, you know. And, and they together had the power to overcome Satan together. She's valuable to her husband as a completer, a real partner. She completes him and shows the world a true image of God in their life and in their marriage. Can I tell you this? I believe that marriage is more than just two people living together. I believe it's two people living together for the glory of God. That that makes marriage. Now let me just take a, about five minutes because maybe you won't turn me off before then. One of the most misunderstood concepts about husbands and wives is the subject of submission. Submission has been taught and acted upon to the point to where that so many wives feel like they're in a prison and they can't break out. And I, don't, I want out of this. I don't, want, I don't want this any longer. And the reason is, is because of the wrong thoughts concept of what submission is all about. I was reading in Dr. Tony Evans' book, and he, he, he illustrated this thing about submission. And he said that he was invited to see the movie, The War Room, just a pre-screening thing. And the reason he was is because his daughter Priscilla was the main actor in it. Uh, she was the young married woman in that. But anyway, he said they went to see this, and when they got through, uh, the Kendricks brothers was there that, that wrote and produced the movie and began to ask them questions and wanted their input back. And Tony Evans said that he, he said, I want to know something. When y'all are doing a film together, a movie together like this, and situations comes up, who has the say-so? And they said, well, we just all, all work on it together. We work on it together. This part, that part, we just bring it all together. And, and if it comes down to somebody having to make a decision, the one that owns it, they make the decision, and we all go along with it. And I said that to show you this. Folks, submission does not mean that the husband is right in everything he says and does. Okay? But submission means that whenever there's circumstances, whenever there's decisions to be made, we work on it together just as long as we can to come to an end, to a resolution. But if it comes down to the point, the ultimate final word because of his responsibility before God, is the husband's. Now, ladies, that ought to take you off the hook about a whole lot of stuff. You know, you could almost say, like Adam did when God said, why? And he said, the woman you gave me? You know, God, you make a decision. He makes that final decision before God, and maybe it may not be right. And, and, and you could say, God, that husband you gave me. But submission means this, ladies. It means that you submit to the pattern that God set down. In uh, Ephesians 5.21, it says that to submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God. And that's the, that's the whole thing about submission. I submit myself to God. I submit myself to my wife. She submits herself to God. She submits herself to me. That's submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it, it, it says this, 
But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Get this, men? Every one of you men in here that's a Christian, this is for you. The head of every man is Christ. It's not your job. It's not your boss. It's not your money. It's not your habit. It's not your activity that you love to do. The head of every man is Christ. And it's not your mama, it's not your daddy, and it's not your wife. Okay, we got that? Because you're a godly man. And the head of every woman is that godly man that Christ is the head of. You got that? And the head of Christ is God. That's God's pattern for setting down for submission, and that's the way that God intended for it to be. See, now, it means this. You recognize your husband's role, and you help him to achieve that, thereby achieving your role yourself. First Peter chapter 3 shows how submitted wife is to be. Likewise, you wives, we talked about this last week, talking about how Christ was submitted to God. And you know, here's something else about that submission. Jesus was submitted to God, but do you know that everything they did, they flew, to, flow, flew flowed together in it? Uh, everything. And you find that God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I well please. And you find it said that God glorified the Son. And then you find that the Son glorified the Father. So they were in this thing together. They, they flowed together on the same level, the same course through everything they did. And when it come down to where there was a question about that, Jesus said, Not my will, but thine be done. Submitted himself to death, even the death of the cross. Now, God's not called you women. Jesus not calling you women to die on a cross. Now, that's not what we're talking about. Don't never look at your marriage as a death sentence. If you do, you're doomed to begin with. Be in submission to your own subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the chaste lifestyle of the wives. Have we got any more on that? Okay. <laughs> While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, your your chaste, your godly lifestyle coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair or wearing a gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not Afraid with any amazement. Now, submission. We want to talk here just a minute. Submission for a Christian woman is not a matter of choice. Even though submission is something that we choose to do, whether it's men to God, ever how you do that, or women, woman to a husband, it's something you choose to do. And, but it's an obligation if you're a Christian. It's sort of like love, okay? Love, every Christian ought not to have any problem with loving people. Ought not to. 
however most of us do, don't we? Sometimes there's people that we have trouble loving, and we sort of pass it off this way and say, well, I love them, but I sure don't like them. I'm afraid to say anything now, no. <laughs> but look here. It's hard to love people that we're not endeavoring to like some, okay? We might like their ways. We might like what they say, what they do. But folks, we, we don't need to come back with a qualifier. If we love them, we love them, and we need to let it go at that. It's a, it's a, it's a decision that I make. Regardless, it's a decision that I make. I'm going to tell you something. As a child of God, it's an obligation that I have. You got that? So submission, me submitting to God, is a privilege I have to submit to Him, but as a godly man, I have an obligation to submit to God. So it's the same way with a wife. There's an obligation involved in that thing that women need to take up. See, in here, but this submission, again, does not mean inferiority. Can I tell you ladies in here, every one of you ladies is just as good and just as important in the economy of God as any man walking the face of the earth. Every one of you. When you walk in your role that God has given you, there's no more freedom and happiness and joy that you can have in, in being a godly woman, a godly wife, and a godly mother. And, uh, and, and it, it, she, this lady over here is not below me in anything. Matter of fact, I exalt her and set her up above me in so many things. Sometimes I feel like I'm the one being walked. No, I don't mean that. She's a partner, not a competitor. See, and submission is an opportunity to win a husband that's not doing exactly what he ought to do. Right? You're not going to win him by getting pretty and sexy and all that kind of stuff and all that's all right. But you'll win him by being submissive, first of all, to God and then to that husband. Because here he says that they will be won. didn't say they might be, there's a chance you could be, maybe they would be. said they will be won. That she could do that by living that kind of life. Submission is an ornament. One of the most beautiful ornaments a woman can wear is first of all to walk in submission to God and walk in submission to her husband. What if he's not a Christian? What if he's not listening? I'm going to ask you something, ladies. You committed your, the keeping of your soul to Jesus when you got born again. Don't you think he can keep it through a situation to where the husband may not be doing what he's supposed to do? And, and I've shared this with you before, folks. This works. I'm telling you, this works. I know first-hand, personal experience. So many times in the past, she's prayed, said, Holy Spirit, will you tell David that he's not doing right? Would you tell David that this is wrong? And the Holy Spirit come and, and talk to me, and, and I'll say, hey, you know, I hadn't been doing this right. And she don't gloat and say, well, I've been trying to tell you. No. She'll just say, thank you, Jesus. You see the difference? You can't, you can, you can lead a, horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And you can't lead a husband anywhere that's not wanting to go. No more than you can lead a wife anywhere that's not wanting to go. God set this, this order down. God, Jesus, 
husband, wife. Satan came to reverse it. He talked, went to Eve. Got this thing turned around. God said to Eve, said, you have a desire to rule over your husband. But your desire is going to be to him. He's going to rule over you. All of that came under the curse. But I want you ladies to know, you men to know, that about 2,000 years ago, somebody stepped out of the portals of heaven and came to this earth, born in a manger, lived on this earth a sinless, spotless life, and went to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins. And when he did and said it is finished, he reversed the curse. Ladies, you are to the place that God made Eve to begin with. Men in Him were to the place that God made Adam to begin with. And together, together, we flow together as a unit before Almighty God. Isn't that good to know? Hey, Jesus died for me. He rose for me. And He sent His Holy Spirit and His Word to help me know how to do this thing. And I thank God for